I'll invite you to turn with me now to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 6 to 10 today, and then, Lord willing, the plan is next time we will finish the book, verses 11 through to the end, and then, as we've said before, we'll be on to the book of Genesis after that. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Just by way of reminder, of course, Paul's main concern throughout the book of Galatians is important for us to keep in mind as we continue through chapter 6. And his main concern, of course, has been to defend the core of the gospel, the gospel truth that a sinner is justified, that is declared righteous by God in his divine courtroom, if you will, by faith alone in the person of Jesus Christ alone. Faith is the instrument by which Sinners receive this gracious gift of God, this justification. Our works of law, our doing, our works, they do not enter into this equation when we are speaking of how it is we are justified before God. It is Christ who has done the work that is necessary. He has accomplished all that is needed, and so it is that we place our faith and our trust and our hope entirely in Him and in what He has done. He has died for my sins. His righteousness is credited to my account. This is received by believing, not by our working. And so it is here that we take our stand. It is here that we have great hope and comfort. But Paul also does address the question in Galatians of now what? We are trusting in that. We are justified by faith. Now what does the Christian life look like? How is it to be lived? We are not only those who are justified by faith alone, but we are also spiritually united to Christ by faith, and we receive all the other graces of salvation by faith as well on account of that union with our Lord Jesus. This includes, as we have seen, Paul has talked about how we are adopted as God's children. We are made heirs of eternal life. By faith, and we also receive the grace of sanctification. A Christian is one to whom God has given his Holy Spirit, making us new creatures that possess new desires, that we might pursue now the things of the Lord, that we might walk in newness of life. So we are justified by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. The believer goes on to walk in a new way. And this new way is described a number of different ways in Scripture and even in Galatians. One of those ways is described as walking by the Spirit. So the Spirit has made believers new, and now we are those who seek to keep in step with the Spirit, to to seek after that which delights the Spirit of God. Spirit produces fruit in us, and we likewise strive to obey the Lord with the strength that God gives us. Now, this kind of obedience, this kind of life that we are called to, we talked about this a few weeks ago more explicitly and at length, but this kind of obedience is not a legal obedience, whereby we are using our obedience 
in some measure, some measure of our obedience at least, as the grounds or the instrument by which we are justified before God. That's not what this is. Rather, Galatians lays out for us what we've called evangelical obedience or gospel obedience, in which the Christian's life is one of certainly fighting with our flesh and striving, but it is the result of already belonging to God by faith. It is the fruit of saving faith. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit within us. And so our lives are not lives in which we are seeking to earn God's favor through our activity and action, but rather it is life lived as a result of God's favor already graciously poured out upon us. And it is in response to this that we live. And so Paul has made very clear that our living is not Again, some legal striving to try to obey God's, uh, in order to try to obey God so as to earn his merit and favor. Uh, This is impossible. This kind of uh, obedience is not possible by us. It only leaves us condemned the moment we fail. Rather, we are justified by faith alone. And this is accompanied by the other graces of salvation. And so we seek then as God's people, graciously pardoned, brought into his family, to live our lives unto his glory. And Paul has made clear that this life is not then automatically one of perfection. It's not a perfect obedience that any of us possesses. As he has said, we still battle in chapter 5 with the flesh, that is, with that remaining corruption that is within us. And it is very much a real battle. He said it keeps us often from doing the very things that we want to do. But our hope is that our Lord will complete the work that he begins in us, that he will bring us safely home, that the Spirit of God that he has given to us, that abides within us, will have the victory, and our sanctification will indeed reach its end, namely eternal life. And as we come now to chapter 6 and verses 6 to 10, Paul is continuing to give us instruction about living the Christian life. And this context of the rest of the book is essential to understanding these verses correctly. If if we just parachuted into chapter 6, verse 6, today just dropped into this without any context of the rest of the book, it might appear to us like he is teaching a legalistic obedience. And so this is one of the reasons why we do verse-by-verse teaching through books of the Bible. Even though, you know, chapters 1 through 3 might seem like forever ago in our minds, uh, we have that foundation in place so that when we get to these verses, we can hopefully have a better chance of understanding them correctly. So with that, let's read verses 6 to 10, and then we will get into them. So Galatians 6, beginning in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You you may have noticed as we read through there that there's a word that gets repeated a number of times, and it's the word good. We see in these verses that those God graciously saves, he calls to hope-filled perseverance in doing what is good. We see in these verses some specifics about what is involved in doing good. And so we're going to look at four things to consider as we consider, as we think about these verses and this call to do that which is good. And again, last week we talked about biblical love in the church and we looked at three things specifically and that was not an exhaustive list of what it means to love one another within the church, nor is this an exhaustive sermon on all that is good for the Christian to do. But we are looking at what Paul says specifically here as he calls us to persevere in doing good unto the Lord. And so the first thing we see is doing what is good involves sharing with those who teach. Now, I just want to acknowledge that I am very aware that that's a little bit of an uncomfortable thing to say from here. Uh, that that can have the appearance of self-serving. I trust for obvious reasons, but the guy teaching is saying that the Bible says those taught are to share with the one who teaches. Um, so this, um, is, this, this dynamic is certainly not lost on me. Um, it's not entirely comfortable. And yet, on the other hand, what I won't do and must not do is apologize for the fact that this is here. Because this is precisely what Scripture says here. Again, part of our job as elders and teachers is to teach the whole counsel of God's Word, even the parts that might be a little difficult or uncomfortable. And so here we are. Let's, so let's look at verse 6 together. It says, Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, a couple of things here. First, notice that What the teacher, the preacher is to do is to teach and to preach the word of God. That's what he says. Let the one who is taught the word. What you should be seeking as Christians is to be taught the word. The duty of preachers is to open and expound on the scriptures. There's, there's certainly more to shepherding than, than just that, but this is a primary task of the preacher. We read earlier from 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul charges Timothy. He says, and just listen again to how serious and solemn this admonition is. We're familiar with these words, so we can lose it sometimes, but listen again to this. I charge you, this is his friend he's talking to. I charge you in the presence of God, And of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his coming, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
Paul heaps this up in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead. He's, this is a very solemn and serious matter that he is laying out to Timothy. Preach the word in any season, whatever season it might be. It's well received. It's not well received. Whether it's rebuke, difficult, or exhortation and encouragement, maybe a little more fun to teach. Regardless of what it is, teach the word of God. We see that here, the one who has taught the word. That's what teachers and preachers are to do. Secondly, when this happens, then scripture says here, let the one who has taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches. Now, this is talking about sharing material goods with the preacher. This would commonly be money, but it may not be limited to that. There certainly have been times and there are even other cultures and places even now where it could be something like livestock or other necessities of life. So I remember even a year ago when the Kilale family was visiting from Peru, they told some stories of going to the jungle and preaching and teaching and coming back with chickens and various other things that people gave to them. That would be, whether they even know this or not, they're, they're, that's what this is talking about, sharing the good things they have with the one who comes to teach them from the word of God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 11. I think it's maybe even a a clearer place where we find this. He says, "If if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And then in verse 14, he says, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So he, he even says there that it's a command from the Lord Jesus. Now, the design is not that pastors should live in the lap of luxury. Most assuredly, this gets abused and has been abused many times. But he's saying they should not go without. Now, as we think about this verse and where we find it here, we might ask, why is he saying this now? Uh, Even in the verses 7 to 10, he's going to talk a little more generally about doing good But then there's this very specific statement about a particular good that he's talking about. And of all the things that he could say as he's getting up to wrap, you know, getting towards the end of his letter here, he's going to wrap this up. Why this specific command of of all things? I would suggest the answer to this is that in the churches that he is writing to, there was a lack of appreciation and respect in these churches for their pastors. And that this was, in fact, part of the very problem that they were facing. Part of the reason they were receiving these false teachers and believing these Judaizers who had arrived on the scene. Uh, If you remember uh, way back or or in any recent reading you're doing, but back when we started Galatians, we read through uh, in Acts where Paul and Barnabas were preaching in the region of Galatia, where he's writing this letter to these different churches. And In chapter 14, verse 23, we're told there, this is after Paul had been stoned and evidently recovered. Uh, They they returned to some of these places they had been, and they appointed elders in these churches in Galatia. And that's just another, that's a synonym for pastor, elder, overseer. Those are all synonyms for the same office in the church. And so they had appointed these pastors, these elders in these churches, And now, since Paul has left, however much time has elapsed since he was there appointing these men and and preaching and and now writing this letter, 
These Judaizers had arrived on the scene there and they were contradicting Paul and they would have been contradicting these elders that Paul had appointed and Barnabas. And Paul's letter, as we have been seeing, is designed to help these churches to reject these Judaizers and to return to sitting under the instruction of men who would be competent to preach the word of God accurately. And if that's the situation, if there is the pastor there who continues to seek to preach the word faithfully and is not going along with these Judaizers, then they should support those men. And I think that that's why he has this verse here. As we, we think about what Paul is saying here and, and this instruction, um, this would be a lot more difficult to preach, I think, if, uh, if, if it seemed that this church was failing at this task. And I, I don't believe that that is the case. And uh, even as we've gone through change and sent people out and people continue to give, and um, certainly we have, you know, the Lord has provided in and through many of you, the, the needs that we have. And I'll just add, too, that even as we, we think about that, I, I don't personally even know uh, who gives how much. And I don't avail myself of that. And I don't even really care to know. Uh, but those who do count and, and all, do know, say, have told me that the giving is well spread out, such that a family leaves or a couple families go and, oh, it's the wrong one, and now there's nothing uh, that that's not the situation. And I think that is a good thing. I think that is a sign of, of health. And giving is one of those things that ultimately is between you and the Lord. Uh, we see the tithe in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Uh, it speaks more of giving joyfully as we are convinced in our hearts to give, and to do so gladly and Ultimately, again, that is something that is between the individual giver and the Lord. And, and so I, again, I think generally what I see is a healthy situation. But if there is any conviction to be had from this text toward you, I'll just leave that between you and the Lord to bring any. And, and for all who do give and have been very kind and, and faithful in this way, um, may this just encourage you in your giving and uh, in, in your sharing of all good things and and uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll leave that at that. But let's, let's move on to point number two. Uh, doing good involves grasping the significance of living life before Almighty God. Doing good involves grasping the significance of living our lives before Almighty God. Look at verse seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So Paul is... Dealing, you recall, with a number of people who profess faith in Christ Jesus, and yet they're living their lives in the flesh. And there's all this division that's going on and so on. What this is here is a warning not to be deceived about this matter because God is not mocked. We live our lives in the presence of the omniscient, means all-knowing, and the almighty God, nothing escapes God's notice. And we, we cannot think that we will, we, we will do lip service to God. 
lip service to the things of God, but really we're just going to sow to our flesh. We're going to live our lives to the flesh, in the flesh. And then we're just going to expect that when we get to the last day, everything's going to be good with the Lord. This is to mock God. This is to play the hypocrite. And man might seek to mock God now, but the day is coming when all will be exposed. And the fact of the matter is God will not be mocked in these things. We should not be deceived into thinking that we can get away with simply living our lives unto the flesh. Now this statement here, to not be deceived, God is not mocked, uh, verse 7. This could be applied to the preceding verse specifically. Uh, Those, that is, who make a, a show of their religion, but their lack of supporting sound doctrine in their own churches... Uh, reveals what they truly make of sound doctrine. And he's saying to them, God will not be mocked. He knows. He sees this. But this should also be applied more broadly to religious hypocrisy in general. If we are to live our lives in the true pursuit of God, in the true pursuit of holiness, it involves awareness of God's perfections and a grasp of the fact that The fruit of our lives, or lack thereof, does matter. We cannot claim a faith in God and a love for His Son, but also then just live our lives oriented to sinful indulgence. This would be to mock God. This is what hypocrisy does. It makes a mockery of God, and He will not be mocked. And the thought of this for his people is a, is a weighty one. That God knows and sees all and will not be mocked. The thought of mocking God is a disturbing thought. Again, this does not mean that we will ever be perfect in this life. But it does mean that we are to seek to deal honestly with God. That we are aware of his all-searching gaze, that we are not those who would seek to make a mockery of his divinity by playing pretend with him, by trying to rationalize our sin away before him. Paul gives this reaping and sowing principle as the reason for God not being mocked. Uh, He he does this in the second half of verse 7, and then he expands on it in verse 8. So look at verse 8 again. It says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So our lives here are living, our lives are likened to the sowing of seed. There's a direct relation between what we do in this lifetime and what we will receive in eternity. He's saying here, if you live your life oriented toward, aligned toward the works of the flesh, and he's laid out some of those works of the flesh back in chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, you recall. If you're investing your effort, your time, your resources toward these things, then you will reap further corruption, he says. And that word corruption is sometimes translated as destruction. Even if you escape evil coming upon you in this lifetime, 
Again, God is not mocked, and justice will occur. Be assured, it's telling us, you will reap corruption if you sow live life to the flesh. So it's a warning to the hypocrite. You cannot fool God. You will not fool God. And to the hypocrite, I would press this point. You will stand before God one day. The God who knows and searches all hearts. Hebrews 4.13 tells us no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is what Paul is saying. He's not going to be mocked. You're not going to pay him a little lip service now and again and think that that's fine while you just live your life to the flesh. The answer is to see your sinfulness before God, even in your righteous acts or attempts at righteousness. And to see the mockery of trying to buy God off with lip service or the odd external activity while yet really living your life purely to your flesh. To understand the gravity of this, to repent of that, to confess your sinfulness before God. And to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died to save all manner of sinners, including hypocrites. Verse 8 not only warns the hypocrite, but it also provides encouragement to the believer. It says, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Again, if we just parachuted into this verse... It might seem like works are the basis of eternal life. But the apostle does not here forget everything that he has written up to this point in the letter that is Galatians. The one who is capable of sowing to the Spirit, that is, seeking to walk by the Spirit, seeking to live life to God's glory and honor, is the one who has been born again by the Spirit and now possesses the Spirit of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the one who has been graciously pardoned and made a new creature by God. It is the one resting in the salvation that Christ has secured. And as I said earlier, the grace of sanctification by which our lives are then conformed more into the image of Christ. This is part of the gift of salvation we have received. And as we battle with our flesh and seek to sow to the Spirit, we are encouraged here that this will all give way to the full and ultimate experience of that salvation, namely our glorification and eternal life. That's what we will reap in the end. Paul says a very similar thing in a slightly different way but I think maybe will help clarify in Romans 6, beginning in verse 20. There he says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit you were getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. You, you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. Death, that's the fruit. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so as God's people who have been forgiven much and freed from the consequences and condemnation of our sins, that we might now live unto the Lord, we are those who seek to store up treasure in heaven. And doing this with the knowledge and understanding that this is not something that is in vain. Not all of the things that we do in this life as we seek to do these things to the Lord, as we seek to sow to the Spirit, to to live in accordance with the Spirit, not all of these things bring immediate blessing and reward. But we are those who persevere in it and press onto it, looking out into eternity. And so doing good as the Lord's people involves grasping the significance of living our lives before Almighty God. If we would like some sort of view of salvation where we say we are justified by faith so that I can just now do whatever and it doesn't really matter what I do and I'm not going to take sin that seriously, I'm not going to strive to walk in holiness, you can't get away with this. That's very clear in what Paul has said. God will not be mocked. Our works do not merit eternal life. They don't complete what Christ has begun in us. But neither is our conduct irrelevant. We either bear the fruit of the Spirit, which has its end in eternal life, or we do not. And so as though believing in Christ Jesus, we press on. We press on in doing good. A sowing to the very Spirit of God. Not trying to manipulate or fool God by really just living for the flesh while claiming to be of Christ. So again, doing good involves understanding that we live our lives before God Almighty. The all-knowing, all-searching God. And so we live our lives in the light. Again, this doesn't mean we're going to live with perfection. It's going to be far, far short of that. As we've seen, we do still battle with the flesh. But God's people are those who are seeking to battle that flesh and to sow to the Spirit. All this leads to the third point. Doing what is good involves hope-filled perseverance in our labor. Doing what is good involves hope-filled perseverance in our labor. Verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So we're explicitly admonished here to press on in this Christian living, to not grow tired of living unto the Lord and seeking to do what he calls us to. And, And let's just be honest, it's easy to get tired. It seems easier often to just give up the battle with the flesh. Life in Egyptian slavery seems preferable to serving God in the wilderness. Just living our lives into the flesh in one sense is very easy. You just do whatever. That is easier in many ways. Although you will reap corruption, we're aware of. We are reminded again that in due season, Paul says, we will reap We press on because there is a day appointed when we will receive our glorified bodies. 
We will be with our God in the new heavens and new earth and with all those that he has redeemed. And we are told in scripture that God will even graciously give out rewards to his people for doing good. Jesus spoke about this matter as well. For, for example, in Matthew chapter 25, with the parable of the talents, again, our, our works do not merit something before God, but God graciously rewards our very imperfect efforts at obeying him. This is very, very much a kindness of God. Our church's confession says this. It says, Yet notwithstanding the persons of believers being accepted through Christ. So we we are accepted in and through Christ, period, by faith. Notwithstanding that, their good works also are accepted in him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight. Not, Not that we've mastered perfect works in this life, and that's why he rewards us. But because he, God, looking upon those works in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. Such is the grace of our God that he would accept and even reward the offerings of his children as as lame as they often seem and are because we belong to Christ. Because we are his children by God's grace. I've heard it likened to a child that seeks to please their father with a drawing and it's not a very good drawing. but, But the father is very pleased because that is their son that gives it to them. There's a contingency stated here in this verse, in verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. True spirit-given faith is that which perseveres to the end. Those who make a profession of faith and then just abandon, they, they flame out, they go on perhaps to deny the faith, deny the Lord. Again, they should not be deceived, such a person. Such are stony or thorny ground hearers, as Jesus described them. They are not true converts to Christ. So we are admonished here to press on in doing good and hopeful perseverance. Maybe you need this reminder. Perhaps feeling wearied by the battle. This is a reminder to keep at it. To continue seeking to honor the Lord in your workplace. To continue that battle with the flesh. It is absolutely worth it to carry on with that battle. Seeking to honor the Lord and to seek after that which is good. Though it be difficult and a trial at times and wearisome. To whom else would we turn? There's nowhere else to go. Wherever it is that you may be worn down, press on in faith. Offer your bodies anew to the Lord as living sacrifices with eyes fixed on eternity where your treasure is stored up. Finally, number four, doing good involves diligence and biblical discrimination. Verse 10. So then, so Paul's 
a, a closing conclusion to this section here. In light of pressing on and hopeful perseverance, Paul brings this section to a close. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So that phrase, as we have opportunity, it can be understood simply as, as, we, as opportunity presents itself to do good. Meaning as we go through our days, we take the opportunities that God and his providence gives to us to do good. Where we become aware of a situation, a good that needs to be done, and we have the ability and the resources, the time to do it. The fact is not everyone can do every good thing that there is to be done, that we can think of. But God will give us, as his people, as individuals, various opportunities throughout our days. And as we have them, we're exhorted to do good. The word for opportunity might also be viewed in another way. The word opportunity is the same word that is translated in the previous verse, verse 9, as season. Right Where there we're told we will reap in due season or due time. And now we're told as we have time or as the proper season, let us do good. There is a season for reaping, Paul has said in verse 9 very clearly, which is yet to come. And there is also a season for sowing, which is now, which is this lifetime. So long as God gives us breath in our lungs, so long as we have life, so long as we're here, so long as the Lord tarries, as long as we have the ability in the present time and season, we are admonished to do good. Of course, both of these realities are true. Now is the season of sowing and serving our God. Later we will reap. And we are to take the opportunities that God brings across our paths to do good. Doing good involves conscious effort and diligence, alertness to need an opportunity. But it also involves a biblical discrimination. Discrimination is usually used negatively. Uh, typically, people use it with reference to um, some sort of unjust distinction that is made if you're being discriminatory. Uh, but the word simply means to make a distinction. Or to distinguish. And this is just an undeniable, essential part of life. Uh, people are making, we are making distinctions all the time. How we will or will not use our time. What we will and will not do. One thing is better than the other. We're constantly discriminating. We're making distinctions all the time. Between good and, and bad. We're told here, as we are being told about the proper objects of our good actions... There is distinction being made. Paul says, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, first, notice that it is right and good to do good to everyone as we have opportunity and as time permits us to do it, as we're here. There is to be a liberality to our kindness and to our good actions. If we have a chance and opportunity to do good to an enemy even, then we take it. We don't withhold good from the unbelieving world or even one who might be a wretched neighbor of ours. 
And yet at the same time, there is very clearly here a priority given to us that we would prioritize doing good, especially to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are in the household of faith. Now this kind of, when you start talking about making distinctions in our love for other people, this can get some people upset. But this is just, again, an undeniable reality of life that we operate this way and that it's good and right. And in fact, it is even a reflection of God himself and how he loves. God does do good to mankind generally. Something we call common grace, where he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. The fact of the matter is, unbelievers in Weyburn eat food, just as we eat food as well. There are many unbelievers who eat much finer, better food than than us even as well. All of this is ultimately not simply because they work hard, but because God has seen fit to be kind to them in this way. That could have been withheld in a moment. Disaster could have come upon them at any time. God sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And yet there is also undeniably a special love that God has for his people, that God lavishes upon his church. It is a redeeming grace and a redeeming love that he has for the church. Similarly, Scripture says that if a man doesn't care for his own family, he is worse than an unbeliever. Right? There is a problem if a man is busy giving away all of his money while his, his own immediate family is impoverished and doesn't have the necessities of life. We would look down on such a man with scorn. He's worse than an unbeliever, the Scripture says. There is a necessary priority in our own love of others that begins with our own families. And here in verse 10, the church is called the household of faith. We're reminded that Christians are all in the same family as God's adopted sons. And so there is a priority here. We do good to all as we have opportunity and as time remains, but we have a special care and zeal and responsibility to one another and to the other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we are to be diligent and we are to make appropriate distinctions. Again, understanding that priority even to fellow Christians. And just as we think about doing good to others, I'll just add here that I think this implies here in this verse that there is the need to exercise wisdom as we think about doing good and as we have opportunity to do good. Again, we we cannot possibly help in every good cause. And there are many good causes around the world. And in our day of constant connectedness, and we have the news from all over the world at any given moment, you can go on and find out about all kinds of needs and all kinds of things. And it can be very, very overwhelming. And a lot of it would be very useful of your time and opportunity if you had it to be able to help and many good things. And we just can't possibly do it all. But I think as we have opportunity implies also as we have ability and resources to be able to do it. There are many good things that we can give ourselves to. And so we have to seek wisdom. And again, as we seek to have wisdom in these matters, to again, uh, not lose sight of the priority that is stated here. 
At the same time, as we think about the overwhelming needs all around us, whether it's in the church, even our, our own church, or beyond that into the Christian world at large, our fellow brothers and sisters around the world, or, or any needs out there, let's not use our limited time and resources as an excuse either to not do anything. Well, we can't do everything, and so we don't do anything. Uh, certainly that would be the wrong thing to take from this. So as we think about these scriptures, as we are called to do good and to persevere in doing good, let, let's stir one another up to this very thing, this love and good deeds, with remembrance of what it is that God has done for our souls in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us hear these words and receive these scriptures as God's good word to us. Again, where we fail, where you are convicted by your lack of concern for others, maybe by your lack of doing good, by your fleshliness, again, look to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for sinners. It's the very reason why We need the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't measure up and we will not measure up. But let us receive this as his good word, that we would see it and say yes to this, that this is laying out for us that which is good for us to be about, that we might be conformed to this and to think this way. Yes, it's hard and difficult work to battle with my flesh, but it's good and right to do that and to seek to put on that which is holy and righteous in God's sight. And let us press on again, remembering the promise here that in due season we will reap. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We do need instructions about what to do and how to live this life and how to think of our lives. We need reminders of this day after day and week after week. We thank you for giving us your good word that does instruct us. Father, we we confess that we fall short of your glory. We fall short of what you lay out for us here in these words. We often become selfish. So often we we lose to the flesh. Father, I pray that you would not, that you would help us to be those who don't hide these things from you and try to pretend as if it's not that bad but that we would let your commands and law indeed bring conviction upon us, knowing that our hope of eternity is ultimately placed and founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ and your grace to us in and through him. And for this reason, we can confess our our shortcomings, our sinfulness honestly before you. Let your word examine and expose us, even in the depths of our souls. Father, help us to be those who are not trying to get away with things before you, but that we would, again, just live in the light. Father, knowing that you are pleased with your children, even though we still are far from perfect, and we thank you and praise you that you will, begin, you will finish the work that you begin in us, and that your spirit is with us for that very task. We pray that you would help us 
to run and not grow weary. That you would help us to press on in living our lives unto you. Seeking to do all the good that we can as we have opportunity. Not to try to bribe you, but out of thanksgiving to you because this is good and right for us to do. Father, we pray that you would help us and encourage us in these things. For all wrestling with their sins now, I pray that you'd encourage them in your kindness to them in Christ. That you would lift up our heads to press on. Father, we thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.